Beloved, let's turn in God's holy word to Luke chapter 18, Luke 18. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 to 8. I need to put my mic on so I can be heard. All right, well, we've been looking at the, uh, the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the parables of the kingdom that were given by the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, open up the kingdom to the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God but to conceal, to cloak. Uh, God is very coy. He's very shrewd with uh, the proud and the unbelieving. But to the humble in heart, he delights in. He who uh, trembles at my word, he is the one in whom I'm well pleased, says the Lord. Well, we're looking now at uh, a parable regarding uh, the, the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Let's listen now as I read it. I'll read uh, chapter 18, 1 through 8. This is God's holy word. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect, or to show, that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. That is, to be weary or grow discouraged. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he, the unjust judge, refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Flowers fade, the grass withers. We go the way of cut flowers ourselves with our God and his word. It's immutable. It's forever established in the heavens, says the psalmist. We can trust it. We can build our lives on it. It's a foundation. Let's go to him and ask him to bless our Lord, we thank you so much for your, your sweet word, your holy word. Your word is sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. We would pray now that you would grant your spirit, Lord, that we might be those who persist in prayer uh, and not grow weary in well-doing. Lord, as we wait upon you, as we wait upon your return, when you will vindicate your name and your people once and for all, and you will right every wrong and every valley will be lifted up, and every mountain will be made low. Lord, until that day, may we be persistent in prayer. May we be persevering in prayer. May we be preserved to pray, not only because it's a duty, but because we delight in you. We enjoy you. We enjoy the time we have with you to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Oh, Father, give us this pleasure, we pray. Take our wicked hearts and make them more like the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is it that makes prayer difficult? 
Is it physical weakness? I think so at times, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We've heard that before. The Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his own disciples, his three confidants he took with him. They were not able to tarry with him for even an hour. Or perhaps it's a lack of discipline. We, we don't make time for it. Um, one of the things I think we need to remember is that Titus tells us in one of my favorite verses, I preached it once at least, 2.14, the grace of God has appeared teaching us to say no to ungodliness, right? To live sensible and godly lives. Grace disciplines us. Do you know that? The kindness of God disciplines us to pursue him, to pursue him and to pursue his faith. His face, right? Your face, you call us to seek, your face will I seek, says the psalmist. Maybe it's a, a false sense of security, right? Uh, we would never say that out loud, but we think we can manage uh, our lives on our own. Uh, maybe it's indifference, right? Maybe we're callous to the needs of the world, right? We, uh, we get, grow callous, we grow indifferent, ambivalent, right? We see all the needs out there, and it kind of wears on us, and it takes away our affection for the world, for our care for the world. Uh, I think a lot of times uh, what makes prayer so difficult is a lack of faith, right? We live as practical deists, not atheists, because I don't think anybody here would say we're, I'm an atheist, but I think at times we can become practical deists, right? God's there. He's the watchmaker. He set it on its course, and we're just going to watch him work out his will, right? We hide behind a false Calvinism, almost, as it were, as not only did God ordain the end, but he ordained what? The means to the end, right? We're seeing that over and over through Rick's faithful teaching and the confession, hopefully through Hebrews, that God ordains both the end of the matter and the means to the end of that matter. And then one that I, uh, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to be a little uh, personal here, I think we, we find prayer difficult because we're anxious. I think it's because I have a little ADD, maybe, that I don't want to be still before the Lord, right? I, I think we, um, we're afraid of being exposed. And I think we, we don't get still with God. Right, because prayer exposes us. There's no shelter to cover under in prayer. Right? It's like you're wearing your birthday suit. There's no place to hide from God. Right? You can play and pretend and be a hypocrite and a Pharisee in a lot of settings in life, in the Christian life. But prayer is that one place in that closet when it's just mono on mono where it's just you and God. And he knows what's going on. And you know he knows what's going on, right? It's hard to hide one's heart motives from God. But sometimes we stop praying just because we lose heart. Maybe we've prayed uh, weeks upon weeks, months, perhaps even years, and it appears that God isn't listening. He isn't interested, right? Could you even imagine a human father worth his salt not wanting to hear the voice of his child's cry? And wanting to respond to it quickly. And yet we, we, uh, we paint that onto God and we say he's that way. Eventually we get so discouraged we stopped asking for and seeking God's help. I want us to remember this evening that 
Church, you have a, a Savior who knows human weakness. He knows human weakness. He was tempted in all ways except for sin. He, he knows what it's like to struggle, to wrestle. Who, who learned, we're going to see in Hebrews, who, who learned obedience through the things he suffered. But he's always praying before great decisions throughout the Gospels. I want you to kind of write that down in your memory banks. Just as you're reading the Gospels, notice how often he, he steps aside to pray. Often he does that. He knows that we would struggle in persisting prayer. Hence the parable here. He gives this parable in verse 1 of chapter 18. He gives the disciples. He says, to the effect that they always ought to, or to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What's unusual in this parable here is that Jesus usually waits to the end to unlock the meaning, right? But notice what he does here. He gives us a hermeneutical key to the house. Right there in verse 1. This is the meaning of this parable. I know you're going to lose heart. I know that you're going to grow weary. So I'm going to give you this parable because I love you. You're mine and I'm yours. That you ought not lose heart, but to always and to persist in prayer. Right? He gives us the house key, as it were. In Luke 17, he's just been speaking about his second coming. He's encouraging his disciples to always be watchful and ready for his return. But right now, as we wait for his return, we live in this long interval, right? Theologians call it the the time between the already and not yet, right? Between his first coming and his inauguration of the new creation that was dawned in the resurrection and the consummation that yet remains, right? We live in this period of waiting, right? That's so much a part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. We're called to wait. And faith expresses itself so beautifully in this waiting. Waiting and watching for the bridegroom to return when he will bring the consummation of his kingdom and make all things new. Until then, we're to, he calls us to persist in prayer. He, he gives us this parable to encourage us. As we actively and, and prayerfully wait, you know, we typically think waiting is inactivity. Not in the Bible. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings like eagles. Eagles soaring. Go down to the river, uh, James, on a day like today. You'll see those beautiful bald eagles. Those river, river hawks, too, Charlotte. They're just beautiful. Just soaring on that warm air. But until he returns, we're to pray. So I want to look at this parable under just two simple headings, uh, just looking at the two main characters, the judge and the widow, and then make some applications as we compare and contrast, particularly contrast the the judge with our God. So first, let's look at the judge. In verse 6, Jesus calls him the unrighteous judge. Here's a man whose personal character, now listen, is in contradiction to his vocational calling. Right? We're told in verse 2, he neither feared God nor respected man. In other words, here's a judge who lacked the two qualities necessary to carry out his calling as a judge. Right? That true justice would be served. Right? Here's a man who had no regard for Proverbs 18.5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. And he does both. Leon Mars says, here is a man controlled by his own ideas. 
his own inclinations. He defies both divine commands and public opinion. And interestingly, know this, notice this. Did you notice this? In verse 4, the judge has self-awareness. He knows himself, right? I don't fear God. I don't respect man. It wasn't just that someone labeled him this way. No, I, I don't fear God. And I don't fear man or respect man. You see, he didn't pretend to be good. He knew he wasn't. The only interest he had was self-interest. That's the only interest he cared about. Well, let's look at the other character, the widow. Here's a woman who wanted justice and was not going to stop fighting until she got it. What is it, just a sidebar here, what is it about women who can be so dogged? Men? Seriously. Dogged. Men would have gone home early on. But here she is, right? Her station in life could not be any more different than that of the judge. She was desperate. She was the lowest of the low in society. No money, nor did she have a protector. Now, of course, you know in the old covenant that God cared for the widow and the orphan. He loves them. He specially delights in the poor, the poor in spirit. Deuteronomy 27, 19. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow. Right? God cares about widows. You better believe it. We better care for widows. We better make it our aim to care for what he cares for, to love what he loves, to hate what he hates. And although she had no resources nor a human defender, she did have one thing going for her, and that's her persistence, and she was going to cash it in. And she had it in spades, right? She's not timid about using it. Verse 3, Jesus tells us, The widow kept coming to the judge and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. She's only asking for what's rightfully hers. Right? You can always pray for justice. Right? Thy kingdom come, hallowed be thy name. Right? These are things that we can... Lord, may your justice flow, right? like Amos says, down the mountains. Verse 4, we're told that, the first, that at first the judge simply ignored her, hoping she'd go away, but the woman was relentless. She's dogged. Right? She would take no for an answer. She kept coming. She literally kept bothering or annoying or wearying unto fatigue. Right? The, the voice was grating on the judge. Right? I hope you don't know what that's like, but maybe you do. She's pestering the judge to give her justice until he finally gives up in verse 5. Because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. She simply wore the judge out with her cries. Right, children know this all too well, don't they? Right? They seek to master the science and the craft and the art of this strategy at an early age because stubbornness is the only resource they often have, right? That's the only check they can actually cash is persistence. Daddy, please, please, Daddy, please. Sweetheart, if you ask me again, I'm going to discipline you. I said no. No means no. But you know how they are. Keep coming. Like a train just keeps coming. It's a beautiful thought, though, isn't it? Think about it. It's beautiful. They have such freedom. And did you notice, this is another sidebar, did you notice the freedom 
that Abraham had with his friend. Did you notice that? I think I noticed it because Rick really read it really well and emphasized it. It was almost audacious. The intimacy that Abraham had with the living God to keep coming to him. You see, that's what I'm talking about. The enjoying God. Not being anxious. Not being ADD, but actually enjoying praying. Yeah, it's a duty, and rightfully so. And we need to delight in that duty. But it is a delight for the child of God. The Spirit of God lives in you. You want to pray. You want to come to your Father, right? Well, the children, as we said, know this all too well. Let me give you an illustration. This is a funny one. This is from Phil Riken. He tells the story of a rancher from Powder Bluff, Colorado, Kathy, uh, who asked if he wanted to renew his subscription to National Geographic. He kept getting these uh, requests from National Geographic. And then one day, the computer malfunctioned with a mailing list, and the computer generated 9,734 separate renewal notices. The rancher couldn't resist. He travels the 10 miles to the nearest post office and sends a check with his subscription along with a note that read, I give up. Send me the magazine. Think about that. Could you imagine those little postcards with the magazine renewals, 9,734 of them? Oh, my. Could you imagine the postman delivering them? It's like, what in the world? Well, that's exactly what the judge did. He, he gave up. He surrendered to the widow's persistent cry. Not because it was God-honoring. Not because it was the right thing to do. And that he feared and respected his fellow image-bearer. But just to get rid, of, get rid of her, right? To give his soul some rest and some reprieve. Beloved, Jesus' point in the parable is not that God is like the unjust judge who reluctantly gives what we ask for. No, this parable works by way of contrast. The ungodly judge is the very opposite of our God. The unjust judge is unjust. He's uncaring. He's unresponsive to the rights of the oppressed. He's not in the story to represent God, but rather to make use of a bad example Jesus' argument is, how much more? That's the argument. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Right? From the lesser unjust judge to the greater Father who is in heaven, who delights to give the kingdom to his children. Delights to. Listen to verse 6. Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Beloved, the questions Jesus asked are rhetorical. Will God give justice to his own? Yes, of course he will. He's promised to. He's promised to give you justice. He's promised to give you mercy. Here's the logic. If this unjust and self-consumed judge who neither fears God nor man will give what is demanded, then how much more will the righteous judge in all the earth give what his children ask according to his will to those he loves? 
saints, Jesus gives the parable that we might not grow discouraged and lose heart in our prayer lives. You see, in contrast to the unjust judge, we have a God in heaven whom we call Father, who is just, who is loving, who is all-wise, particularly as it relates to his timing. Let's look at those three things really quick. First, our Heavenly Father is just. Our Father in heaven is a God who loves widows, who loves orphans. He's fair and He's righteous in all His ways. This means that in Him we will always have... Now listen... Church, we will always have a final court of appeal before our Father. One of the great frustrations of life is that justice is not always done, right? At least as far as we can discern and see in this life. Evil sometimes triumphs, the wicked do prosper, the guilty often go free. We see the church persecuted, right? Pastor Nell. Uh, Ruling Elder Yanit reminds us of the persecuted church. We see, right, Christians in Somalia, North Korea, in the Middle East, suffering, being persecuted. We wonder, will there be justice done? We see the corruption, not only of the church being persecuted, but we see the corruption of our legal system, right? If you've ever been wrongly treated or unfairly, you know exactly what I mean. To be honest, humanly speaking, we don't have any recourse oftentimes in life. We just have to accept the way things are. But Jesus here reminds us that in heaven with our Father, we always have a final court of appeal. You can go to the King of kings and Lord of lords. You can come boldly into the throne of grace in your time of need because you have a high priest who's gone before you. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, who's made provision for you. A perfect judge who has promised to do what is right. Every wrong will be righted. And in the end, he will render perfect justice. And in our, in our injustice in this life, in this present evil age, until the consummation, until Jesus returns, we can go with Abraham and pray like a friend to a friend. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? We can be so bold and so audacious to come before God and say, God, will you not be God in this matter? Will you not uphold your name in this matter? Secondly, not only is our Heavenly Father just, He's loving. Church, in Jesus Christ, we are God's children. He's our Father, not just our judge. We cry, Abba, Father. And that is about as intimate as it gets Isn't it interesting? It's the same cry that Jesus had in the garden. Abba, Father, take this cup from me. But if you will it not, so be it. Let your will be done, not mine. And we get to pray the same prayer. We can take that same title, that same cry, Abba, Father, and upon our lips. You see, he knows his children by name. All that the Father has given him, he will lose none. And while we're not told the name of the widow in the story, 
And as far as the judge was concerned, she was a nobody. Hence the reason of his indifference and his ambivalence. <laughs> she has no money. There's no cash value. There's no, no street cred with this woman. But did you notice when Jesus speaks about God's justice in verse 7, he says that God will take care of whom? His elect. <laughs> Those who cry to him day and night. Saints, when we pray to God, we're praying to a God who knows who we are, who's chosen us. A God whom Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, knew us, set his love on us before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. That he loves you. You can come to him. What an encouragement to pray, right? If you don't hear anything else, hear that. Beloved, because of our election, we have a claim upon God that the widow never had with the unjust judge. Why don't we pray more? Why doesn't this pastor pray more? We come to a God, a, a living God, who, who loves us, who, who knows us, who cares for us. It's interesting, right? The people who have a caricatures of Calvinism, of biblical Christianity, think, well, you know, if you, you hold to predestination, it just makes us totally irresponsible. What could be further from the truth? No, it upholds it. First causes, second causes, and every other cause, right? Flows out of the decree of God, chapter 3 of their confession, right? He ordains it all, right? He's ordained the means to the end, which is his glory, that means, one of those means is prayer, right? right? The doctrine of election, far from hindering prayer, is actually fuel to pray. When you know that you're elect. When you look at Christ, the mirror of your election. It should spur us to pray, right? Father, I'm your child in Christ. You've chosen me. Answer me when I cry for help. Right? The widow petitioned an unjust judge, an uncaring judge. We petition, now listen, we petition a father who, who spared not his own son for you. Are you going to give your son for me? Am I going to give my son for you? And yet God, what more can he say than to you he has said, the hymn writer says. Right? Not only in words, but he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why don't we pray? Listen to this. You need to write this one down. I'm serious. Isaiah 62, 7. Listen to this. Isaiah calls us with this promise. I, 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 didn't, I don't know that I've read it before. And I'm sure I have. But listen to it. Listen. Isaiah is telling the church. He's telling you this evening. The living God is speaking to you right now. The Spirit says, present tense, 62.7, Give the Lord no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Give him no rest? What? Elders, isn't that convicting? Oh, give him no rest. Give him no rest until he establishes his glory in Jerusalem and his peace and praise on the earth.
You see, her pleas were a nuisance to the unjust judge. Our pleas please our Father. He delights to hear you pray to him. Right? Mr. Hutton's been hitting that nail. Praise God, I hope he does the rest of his tenure in this life. We can please the Father in Jesus Christ. You can please him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because he sees you through the rose-colored glasses of his son, his son's work. He works to will within you. He's making you more and more like him. So he's a just father. He's a loving father. He's an all-wise father, thirdly. Especially when it comes to waiting on God. He has perfect timing, never early, never late. He's never in a hurry, but he's always on time. This evening, if we're honest, we have to admit that it doesn't always seem that God's timing is perfect. Sometimes God's justice seems long in coming, his answers to our prayers. Beloved, many wrongs in this present evil age will not be righted until the second coming. We've noted this. We've seen this. The time between the already not yet is quite long. At least it seems that way. We need to remember this. 2 Peter 3.8 That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. What is time? Time's a created thing. God created time. He's outside of time. Time is like here. And God is infinite. It's just a little speck to God. It's nothing to Him. Sometimes justice is delayed. The very reason Jesus told the parable was to encourage the disciples always to pray and not grow weary, not grow discouraged, but to pray and keep praying. Don't stop praying. Be persistent. I couldn't help but think, some of us have been praying for relatives and children who have not Or are not currently walking with the Lord. May we take this and pray it down. May we take it and pray it down for those relatives and friends. Those office workers. right? Persistent prayer. Right JK? Praying for our moms, our brothers, our sisters, our children who don't know Christ. And not grow weary. Not lose heart. Keep praying. Keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to take... Isaiah 62, 7, and I'm going to ask God to establish his glory in the lives of my children. I'm going to retake their baptism and remind them who they are. Remind God what God promised in their baptism, you see. That's what we have to do. Prayer is warfare. It's warfare. Not pedestrian, not soft merit, right? We like to think of it, oh, Jesus, no, no, no. We pray, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's warfare. I know so little about it. To pray, to seek God's face. You see, his delay is not necessarily a denial. He will do things right in his own time. Habakkuk 2, 3, if he seems slow, or if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. And when it comes, it will come swiftly. God will answer our prayers exactly at the right time in the wisest way according to what brings him the most glory and what works for our greatest good. And I had to think about Revelation 6, right? Because I do think 
this prayer is for this period between the already not yet, particularly as it relates to uh, many who are being persecuted for the faith. There in Revelation 6, you have the martyrs before the throne of God. Sparky knows what I'm talking about. Listen to it. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Oh, beloved, let us not grow weary. Let us not grow discouraged. Let us not grow and lose heart. But notice the one final question there in the second half of B, and I conclude with this. Notice what he says there. Jesus says, nevertheless... Right? He's just told us and given us this parable that we might not lose heart but to always pray persistently like the widow. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Right? The Son of Man is coming. He's promised. He's going to come. Will he find people praying like this persistent widow? Right? Because what is prayer? What breathing is to biological life, prayer is to spiritual life. Do you like breathing? Raise your hand. I like breathing. Kids, we like breathing? Yeah? If you're alive spiritually, you're going to pray. This is Calvin. This is not Bullock. The first work of faith is prayer. John Calvin, the first work is prayer. It looks outside of itself. It looks extrinsically, not intrinsically. looks out. Because before Christ, we're always doing this, right? We're like a, vort- like a black hole, an atom. That's what we are. We're black holes, right? What's a black hole do? Star Trek, <laughs> sucks everything in. It's all about me. Then you get saved, you get converted, your heart, heart of flesh, you start to look out. You start to look to God. Jesus says, will he find faith? In one sense, yes, of course. He promised his church would endure, right? The gates of hell will not prevail. There are going to be people praying when Jesus returns. But in another sense, what Jesus is doing here, I believe this is where it gets, where the rub meets the road. Or the rubber meets the road. Well, the rub can meet it as well. Are you praying? It's a duty, but is it a delight? Do you enjoy his presence? Do you enjoy him? Right? Just like you enjoy being with a dear friend or someone you love, like husbands, like I said today, when that woman came across our radar, <laughs> she took all the oxygen out of my room. That's all I could think about. I was intoxicated with her love. Right? It's something, I think, of what he's speaking about here with prayer. Will he find you in the faith? Will he find you praying? 
How can you know? Are you praying today? Are you praying today? We could ask the question, am I persisting in prayer? Right? Let me leave you with this. Again, I want to challenge. I don't want to crush you. Never, ever, ever. J.C. Ryle. Do we ever feel a secret inclination to hurry our prayers? Or to shorten our prayers? Or to become careless about our prayers? Or to admit or omit our prayers altogether? Let us be sure when we do that it is a direct temptation from the devil. He's trying to sap and undermine the very citadel of our souls. And to cast us down to hell. Let us resist the temptation and cast it behind our backs. Let us resolve to pray on steadily, patiently, perseveringly. And let us never doubt that it does us good. However long the answer may be in coming, still let us pray on. Whatever sacrifice and self-denial it may cost us, still let us pray on. Pray always, pray without ceasing, and continue in prayer. Beloved, we ought to always pray, pray and not lose heart because our Father is a just Father. He's a loving Father, right? And He's an all-wise Father who's going to answer your cries in His timing for His glory, and for your ultimate good. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are so kind and so loving, that Your corrections are sweet, Lord, to be corrected by You, by Your Word, to have Your Word search us and try us, to mend us up, to cut us, to heal us. Oh, surgeon, oh, physician of our soul, we love You, we praise You, we thank You. We enjoy your presence. We long to know more of it. We long to have the intimacy that Abraham had with you as you call him your friend. May you call us your friends. May we grow in our intimacy and our prayer life with you as we pursue your face. We pray and we would ask this in the name of Christ our Savior and King. Amen.